remember I said I had prepared myself for every possible worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even thought to prepare myself for the best case scenario, mm-hmm. which would be that they want to be people, in your life. Yes, and yes, that they would be happy to mm-hmm. hear from me, that they would want me. And they would have these families who had known about me and were also curious about me. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. My husband and I have four beautiful kids through adoption. This show started as a radio program in Denver, and we just started telling adoption stories from the perspective of the adoptee, birth parent, and adoptive parents. It's now grown into the international podcast you hear today. If you go to adoptionnow.com, you can find a story for you. We have episodes on foster care, domestic infant adoption, embryo adoption, and international adoption. We're talking about real issues that are happening right now in our adoption community. If you're about to start your adoption journey or you need help in your process, we want to connect you to the resources you need. We have professional services that can help you. Again, just go to adoptionnow.com. Today, we have Kathy McKechnie here. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So you are an adoptee and a therapist to other adoptees. Yes. You are an adoption competent therapist. This is a new phrase I just learned. Yes. So you help the adoption community tremendously. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I can't wait to hear your story. Let's just start from the beginning. Why do you think your parents adopted? They adopted me because they already had two sons who are their biological children, my older brothers who are eight and nine years older than me. And my parents tried for many years to have a third child because my mom also wanted to have a girl Mm -hmm. and they weren't able to have a third child. And they had some friends who had adopted, so they felt comfortable with that process. And so they decided to pursue adoption. What state? Oklahoma. Okay. Yeah. And so what was their process? Actually, that's a good question for them. I don't know much about that. They started, I think, with the friends that they knew who had adopted, and they adopted through the state of Oklahoma. Okay. So they got a caseworker and, you know, did whatever they had to do at the time. So what was the story they told you? They got a phone call? There's kind of a funny story to that. One day, one spring day when I was in college, when I was a sophomore in college. So let me back up. My, I was born February 4th. Okay. Fast forward from February and it's spring in Oklahoma and I'm in my room in college one Friday afternoon and my mom calls me out of the blue and says, happy birthday. And I paused and she said, I know you think I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. This is the day that we got you. What she remembered is that they got me on Good Friday. So they got the call on Good Friday. Okay. So she called me on Good Friday that year when I was in college because that had always been a special day for her. But she never told you? But I didn't know that. No. So, you know, I asked about that and she said, well, We used to celebrate it when you were really little, but I must have been super little because Mm -hmm. I don't have any memory of that at all. So once I found that out, 
that was significant to me. Mm-hmm. So I did some search where you can find old calendars, you know, from the year right, okay. that I was born. And I looked up Good Friday of that year so I could get the date mm-hmm. because Good Friday varies. Right. The date of, Go- of Good Friday varies from year to year. So I went to Good Friday of that year and looked up the date so that I knew the date that I was placed with my family. What was that date? April 12th. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can't really understand waiting that long to tell you. That bit of information, yeah. right? Yeah. I can't either. I didn't get it, but that's my mom. That's what she did. So when you were growing up, what story did they tell you growing up? What I heard over the years is they got the call on Good Friday. So I did know that part, but it wasn't something that we... That connected, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like we talked about it every year mm-hmm. or anything like, or celebrated it. So they got the call. And they packed up my brothers. So we, my parents lived in a smaller town in southeastern Oklahoma, and I was in Oklahoma City. So they packed up my brothers, and they drove to Oklahoma City, and they got me from the caseworker, I guess, and put me in the car and started driving back. And they talk about how we stopped on the way back home to eat and, um, like, what they tell me that is cute is how my brothers like kind of fought mm-hmm. over who was going to like hold me and, you know, like do stuff for me and kind of take care of me. And that's it. That's the story. So you were two months. Where were you before that? I was in foster care. Okay. Yeah. Did you know anything else besides the day that they got you? I don't. And I would like to. I would like to know. So, you know, now I've got... I've got the piece from the very beginning because I know my birth parents now. Ooh, you you let the cat out of the bag so early. <laughs> We're going to get there, but I, yeah. So I've got that piece. And then, you know, I've got the, the pieces from when I was placed with my family forward. I don't have that piece from the middle, those 10 weeks that I was in foster care. So the social worker didn't tell your parents because usually the call is we have this child blah, 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 blah. This is the situation mom and dad have signed off, you know. Right. So, right. Because it seems like whenever I interview an adoptee, it's like, poof, Uh then there's a call and then they got you. Right. And that's not how it is now. Now it's like, we're asking questions as the adoptive parents. Wait a second. You know, what happened and where has this child been? How many different homes (laughs) has this child been in? Right. We have this trail, this paperwork trail, but it doesn't seem like... So they knew that I, my parents knew that I had been in foster care. Mm -hmm. And apparently, from what I understand, that was pretty standard. That was a pretty standard Mm -hmm. waiting period at that time. So this was many years ago. This was in 1968. It was Mm -hmm. a long time ago and a lot has changed. So I guess that was pretty standard. I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks And then I was moved to foster care. The thing about it is that my mom, my original mom, my first mom, she didn't know that I was going into foster care. And when she learned that, when I told her that, that was hard for her to hear because she thought her understanding is that I was going to be placed directly with my adoptive parents. Mm. So that was really hard for her to learn that for 10 weeks, I was in a foster home Mm -hmm. and she didn't know anything she didn't about know. that. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back a little bit. How was your upbringing? It was, that's a tough question to answer. That's a big question. On the whole, it was good. The wisdom of the time was tell your child and then, you know, 
treat them as though they were born to you. Mm-hmm. And I understand, you know, the rationale behind that. And it also does everybody a disservice because we we adoptees do come into our families differently. And that's not bad. It's just different. Mm-hmm. But I would say that, you know, my parents took the advice they were given and they didn't treat me any differently than they treated my brothers. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I was adopted. And then other than that, we didn't really talk about it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, and I didn't grow up with parents who would talk about it from time to time and teach me that that was an okay subject for us to talk about. Mm-hmm. And that if I ever had questions, I could ask. So did you have questions? I did. I think I wasn't even always aware that I had, like, I, the, I, I couldn't even allow them to enter my awareness sometimes because we didn't talk about it. But once I got to be an adolescent in particular, I had more questions and we didn't ever talk about them because I didn't know that that was okay, that it was okay for me to ask. Did you tell people you were adopted, like your friends? And I did. Yeah. Did they ask you questions? Um, not much. When I was little, I got some of the typical questions like, well, who are your real parents? Mm -hmm. And I would very defensively say, well, my parents are my real parents. Mm -hmm. But other than that, people didn't really ask as I got old. Maybe once I got to be an older adolescent, like around college age, then I, I can remember that people would start asking if I ever thought about searching. I think it's interesting that you said, and I've heard this a lot, that back then they were taught, your parents were taught, just treat her like she's part of the family, Mm -hmm. like she isn't adopted. But you think about the opposite of that is treat them like they are adopted, right? And not part of the family. But it's not quite as black and white as that. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? And can you just kind of help us adoptive parents understand what we should be doing? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So much depends on like the moment, right? Mm -hmm. And the circumstances. But here's something that I wish my mom had done. So I'll just use this as an example of Mm -hmm. what I think is good to do or helpful to do. So people would often tell my mom and me that we looked a lot alike. And I would say, we don't at all. Just because we're both white and have brown hair doesn't mean we look alike. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, what people thought. And I appreciate that my mom did not do this. She didn't say to those people, oh, well, that couldn't possibly be. She was adopted. Mm-hmm. You know, we adopted. Right. So I'm glad she didn't out me like that and, you know, and tell my story to every stranger who commented. But what I wish she had done is after people said things like that, she had said to me privately, I wonder what that's like for you Mm -hmm. when people ask that question. Because, you know, if we do look alike, to the degree that we look alike at all, it's just happenstance because you were adopted. Mm -hmm. So what is that like for you? And is there anything you wish I would say to people when they say that? Mm. You know, I just wish mm-hmm. she had just checked it out. And there's, I don't wish that she had done anything differently than she did. I just wish she had had a private conversation with me about it afterward. Right. So I think that is the resounding theme I always hear mm. is don't make me feel like I'm adopted. Right. Right. 
I want to feel part of the family. I just want you to talk to me about adoption. I just want you to ask me if I want to talk about adoption Yeah, and just broach that topic. You know, some kids don't want to. So even when the parents do ask, but there's this place that says, hey, it's okay yeah. To talk about it. It's yeah. not a topic that's off limits. Right. We can sit down and have this conversation. And maybe that's where we can land as adoptive parents is just be really open because we also are struggling now because we see that closing down is not right. Mm-hmm. But you want to just kind of go on and let your kids know, like, you're part of our family. We don't have to address it all the time. But then you don't want to shut them down, but then you don't want to talk. So we're in right. this, like... Kind of the pendulum has swung the other way, right? Where now I'm like, sit down, everybody. We need to talk about adoption every day. Then I can tell my kids, are like, mom. Right. So it's somewhere in that middle where I just say to my kids, and it can be any topic, really. Whatever you guys are thinking about and want to talk about, I can be here and we can talk about that. There's no off-limit conversation. Even religion or anything, you know, anything that you want to talk about. I think about how my child always wants to talk about Trump Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's eight uh-huh. he's like mom is this, is this a bad guy or a good guy and I'm like oh <laughs> but even in that he just wants to have a conversation and even yeah. and I just I'm going on a little tangent but my son he's like I said he's eight almost nine and he called me and he's like I have to talk to you I was like oh my gosh what maybe this is the adoption conversation <laughs> we're gonna have he's like you know what I know who's in love with my best friend I found a note <laughs> I'm like, okay. And we just had this little car. He had to tell mom, like, can you believe that she likes him? And I felt like, you want to talk to me about this? And it will change. Yeah. But yeah. that is the place I think that I want to cultivate with every child. And every one of my kids, because I've got four adopted, are all different. Now you're a therapist. Is that the right approach as we're talking about this and you're telling your story and here I am an adoptive mom, is that advice that you would give to adoptive parents is be open? Yeah. Yeah. I would say you're on the right track. That's the thing to do. (gasps) Oh, I can stop sweating in this interview. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just follow your child's lead, right? Mm -hmm. Read their signals. And I would say, I think that what usually happens is like the conversation happens when you least expect it. Your child brings it up, right? When you're totally Mm -hmm. not ready for that. You didn't know that was coming at Mm -hmm. all. And I think it's often like when you're driving and like you're not looking at each other, not having to make eye contact. And, you know, the, all this stuff comes, this big stuff like comes up all of a sudden seemingly. I think that this show has helped me a lot because I talked to people before my son said, was I in your tummy? And even at that moment, I wasn't prepared, mm-hmm. but I knew it was a question that was going to come up and it has come up. And so doing better, right? Because you're not going to always get it right. You're going to miss it. They're going right. to say something and you're like, panic because you don't want them to hurt. The bottom line is you don't want your kid to hurt. Right. But with any parenting. Yes, any parenting. You're right. But you have to tell them the truth. And that is a really, really hard thing for parents. And you have to deal with your own loss and what you feel comfortable with. But I think Glenn, who is an adoptee and a friend of yours, right? You know Glenn. I know Glenn. Maury. And he talked about that too, is you can't have a conversation you're afraid of. Right. So we need to stop being afraid. And the way you do that is work that out personally. Work with that fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Attend to your own fear and take care of that. Take care of it first. It's valid and it's, it has a reason for being there. So get some help with that if you need it and attend to that and take care of it. Don't try to just like shove it down. Right. Because it doesn't go away. Right. No. It just naturally subsides, relaxes and releases when you pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when did you start to 
discover your adoption story? You know, take it to the next level. Was that in college when your mom called you at that point? It was probably when I was a freshman in college. So before the phone call. Okay. And I was in a freshman orientation class and I had to write an autobiographical paper. And all of a sudden, kind of seemingly out of nowhere for me as well, the entire paper was about having been relinquished and adopted. And at that time, I, some weekend when I went home for a visit, I was telling my mom about it. And I asked her some questions again, because I didn't remember what I guess I had known, what they had told me Mm -hmm. about my story, which was just non-identifying information. So I asked, what do you know? about my birth parents. And she told me again, the non-identifying information that they had, like heights, weights, hair colors, I think religious orientations, some of their hobbies, and that was it. And that was it, we had that conversation. And then I went on from there. I would say I didn't really have another conversation about it, or it's not like that moment sparked, you know, this journey to learn more mm-hmm. at that time. After I graduated from college, I was working in journalism because my undergraduate degree is in journalism. And I was working with a woman who was my supervisor who was also adopted. So I don't know how it came up. I mean, I must've been talking about it to some degree because we learned that each other was adopted. She was pregnant with her first child or maybe her second. And that's a common time for mm-hmm. women who were adopted to have more questions and you know, want to search for their original parents. So she asked me if I had ever thought about searching. And at that time I gave my, what was then my standard response, which was, no, I know who my parents are and you know, I'm good in a nutshell. So I was probably in like mid to late twenties or you know, moving toward my late twenties. And friends of mine were starting to have children and My husband at the time and I were thinking about that. And just in thinking about that, the idea of having kids, it was on my mind a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then around that same time, I was thinking about making a career change. So I, you know, I was working in journalism. I had been thinking about going into social work and I had also started therapy. And I kept finding myself in a position where I was having to educate my therapists about the issues that adoptees Mm. commonly face. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so by now, I should back up a little bit. I had done some reading. So this exploration about my relinquishment and adoption had already begun Mm -hmm. because I had read The Primal Wound Mm -hmm. and a couple of others. And so I did what I do, which is I start reading to educate myself and I learned some things. And then I went to therapy. And I saw a few different therapists, and each time I found myself having to educate them a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I thought, hmm, I see a niche here. (laughs) Right. So I thought, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could become a therapist who works with adoptees. But before I spent all that money on graduate school, I wanted to make sure that was going to be a good fit so I didn't waste money. So I went to career counseling. And through that process, I figured out that 
I'm the kind of person that to know what I really want to do with my life, I need to know who I fully am. Mm -hmm. And for me, that meant I need to find those missing pieces from the very beginning. Okay. What was was your first step? So that's what led me to search. And at the time, so this was, this was a while ago. This was like 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So like pre-widespread internet use. What did I do? I wrote the state of Oklahoma. I don't even remember all the details then. I have a whole file on this. But I started pursuing getting as much information from them as I as I could. And of course, and so Oklahoma is a closed state. So there's there's no access. Adoptees have no access to their original birth certificates. And my husband at the time was an attorney. And so ultimately sort of like fast forwarding a little bit, we decided to petition the court to open my record. I started this in the summer. I knew I wasn't going to see my parents again until the holidays at the end of the year. And I wanted to have this conversation with them that where I told them that I decided to search in person. I didn't want to do that over the phone. That didn't feel right to me. So I started And I was pursuing what I could, which was really difficult. And in the meantime, I was getting increasingly nervous about this conversation I was going to have with my parents because I did not have any reason to believe that they would be open to that. Mm -hmm. I remembered that when I had that conversation with my mom when I was a freshman and I had asked her for that information, sometime after that, she told me that she felt nervous that I was going to try to search. Mm -hmm. So I remembered that. Of course I did. So I felt nervous about telling them this because I was nervous about how they would feel and how they might react. Because you didn't want to hurt them. No. Yeah, I didn't want to hurt them. And, you know, what I really wanted, although I don't know that I could have even identified this at the time, was their support. I just, Mm -hmm. I wanted their understanding and support. I wanted them to know, I mean, really know in their hearts that it had nothing to do with them. It wasn't about them. Mm -hmm. It was about me and my need to find those missing pieces. Tell me exactly what you wanted them to say to you. What I wanted them to say to me? Yes. You know, actually, they... I'm going to write it down right now and (laughs) say the exact thing. (laughs) I mean, how do you say, I support you? I know you can say, I support you, but what are those words that would have really changed your life? And maybe they said them, but just for us as adoptive parents, that can help so many adoptive parents, even that have older children right now, say, okay, I'm going to say that thing. Because we don't really know the language or what you really need to hear. So tell us what we can say to do it better. You know, my parents did basically say what I needed them to say. Oh, good. I hadn't even thought ahead of time about what I needed them to say. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was just, I was consumed with nerves. Mm -hmm. So... I, re- I remember exactly where we had the conversation. I remember sitting down in the living room and telling them that I had decided to search. And what they said basically is, well, we understand. And we've had some curiosity about her too. You know, we wouldn't mind knowing too. And it was a huge relief for me, mm. huge. And then I was able, I mean, even as I say it now, even as I'm describing it now, I like feel again that sense of relief Mm. in my body and how that kind of gave me permission from there to go forward with their blessing, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So I was able to relax and move forward. And my petition for my original record was denied as they usually are, but my dad when I told them that I was searching, recalled 
the key piece of information that allowed me to ultimately find my mom. He remembered that in one of their conversations with their caseworker, she mentioned at some point the town where my mom had lived. Wow. And I mean, it was, you know, this was Oklahoma. And it wasn't Oklahoma City or mm-hmm. Tulsa. You know, it wasn't one of the two bigger cities. It was a smaller town. And so all of a sudden, you know, my search went from like the whole country to whoop, right there in that around that town. And with that piece of information, you know, combined with knowing the year that I was born and and my mom's age when she had me, so the age, you know, she would have been when she graduated from high school, that allowed us to then figure out which high school existed in that town at that time and go to that school and blah, blah, blah. It goes on from there. So... My mother-in-law at the time, so I was living in Colorado, and my family was in Oklahoma. My husband's and my family's were in Oklahoma. And my mother-in-law at the time offered to help. And she was a retired school, middle school principal. So she felt really comfortable with, you know, schools Mm -hmm. and school personnel. So she started going to the high school that existed at the time that my mom would have been in high school. And she started forming a relationship with the librarian there. So, you know, they started having conversations. She started looking at yearbooks. And then on one of her visits, she mentioned actually a piece of information that was included in the non-identifying information that turned out to be a little identifying. (laughs) Uh (laughs) And it was that my mom had sustained burns on her legs when she was a young girl Hmm. from a heater, from one of those. Space heater? Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. Or radiator? Yeah, something like that. But it was an open, at that time it was like open flame. Uh And so she'd gotten burned and she had these burns on her legs. And when my former mother-in-law mentioned that, the librarian said, oh, I know exactly who that is. That's Linda Isbell. (gasps) And there we were. And I had her name. And I had, I don't even know how I had gotten it, but at some point along the way, I had gotten what I thought was a name. Mm -hmm. But it was really common at that time for women who were planning to relinquish to be told, advised to use an alias. Mm -hmm. And so the name I had was an alias. And I didn't know that the alias actually had a relationship to her actual name. I mean, how would I know that? Mm -hmm. But the alias she used was Lisa Bell, and her name was Linda Isbell. Well, you would have never connected that, Right. But how interesting. Yeah. So how did you connect to her? So then once I had the name, it was easy. My dad is a former FBI agent, and he still had access to... Social security records somehow. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I I gave him the name and he was able to locate where she currently was and passed along that information. So it went fast once I got the name, mm-hmm. really fast. And then I I was very thoughtful about how I wanted to contact her. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I was not going to call her all of a sudden out of the blue. I couldn't do that. That's just not me. Mm-hmm. And I, again, did what I do. I did some reading. So I'd read a book 
on, you know, how people pursue searches and reunions. And I found this organization, a national search organization that had a template of a letter that you can write. So I wrote her a letter and it's written in a way that if anybody else were to see the letter, they wouldn't guess who had written it. They wouldn't be able to guess who it came from. So it, okay. it sounds like it could be from a long lost friend. Okay. But when she got it, she knew instantly who it was from and she called me right away. But it did take, there was a little bit of a delay. So I wrote the letter. I had prepared myself for every possible form of rejection. Mm -hmm. I prepared myself that she might be dead. She might not want contact with me. So, you know, I might get a secondary rejection or second rejection. I might not really want to meet her, mm -hmm. you know, once I found out who she was and learned a little more about her. So every, you know, possible form of how it might go negatively. So I sent the letter and a couple weeks, a few weeks went by. I didn't hear back and I was okay with that because I had prepared myself for that. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden one day, I think my husband and I had just gotten back like from the mountains and the phone rang, right? Home phones, mm -hmm. <laughs> the home phone rang and he answered and he said, just a minute and handed it to me and mouthed to me, it's your mom. <gasps> and what'd you do? I think I kind of froze, <laughs> like I just did, even momentarily recalling that. And I answered and I said, hello. And the first thing that she said to me that made me pause was, are you my daughter? And, you know, in a mm. split second, like a million things go through your head because mm -hmm. it's like, well, yeah, but no, but well, mm -hmm. and then, yeah, well, you then, spent your whole life being somebody else's daughter. Right. Exactly. That's a loaded question. Mm -hmm. But all I was, you know, after a couple of seconds, I was able to say yes. And then we talked for, I don't know, hour and a half, couple hours. She allowed me to ask every question I could think of at the time. She told me about her family, you know, mm -hmm. my family. We talked about medical history. I mean, we we talked about kind of everything. Everybody wants to know what's your birth story? Why would, you know, mm, why did yeah, she choose yeah. the place and who's your birth dad? And yeah, yeah. So we covered that too. She told me her version of what happened. So I'll come back to that. And she also had the information that allowed me to contact my birth father. Okay. Because he had actually contacted her when I was, I think, about a senior in college because he had decided he wanted to try to find me. So she had his contact information from then, and it was he was still at the same place, at the same address. So she gave me the information that allowed me to contact him, which I did shortly after I contacted her, and, and there's, there's more to that. But she told me that they had been dating and that she, when she found out she was pregnant, she told him. How old were they? She was 21 when she had me. She was 20 when she got pregnant. Okay. And he was the same age, maybe slightly older. They were, okay. they were the same age. So she lived in a, a town where there was a military base. There was an army base. 
So he had been transferred there. He had been in Germany okay. and then transferred to this base in Oklahoma. And they had met. She worked on the base. So they met and started dating. She found out she was pregnant. She told him. And they, according to her, they had had some conversation about her going with him to California. He wanted to move to California, I think go to flight school. And they had had some conversation about her going with him. And then... One night, they had plans, she said, to meet, and he never showed, and she never saw him again, and he left. That's her story. Mm -hmm. His version is different. different, They've got different versions. And so she placed? And so, yes, under the pressure of her mom, which was really common, right? Mm -hmm. It was 1968. Mm -hmm. And so it was far, far less common for unwed women to keep their babies. Mm -hmm. And so her mom said, basically, you will not come home with that baby. She told me that her dad said to her at one point, if it were just you and me, you'd bring that baby home. Mm -hmm. But her mom being, you know, the Southern Baptist woman Mm -hmm. that she was, and like most, I think, moms, of unwed pregnant women at the time said no. Mm -hmm. So she was one of the girls who went away. She -hmm. was sent to a home, like a foster home sort of, like a sponsor home for, I think it was her and maybe one or two other girls, young women who were single and pregnant Mm -hmm. and spent the last few months of her pregnancy there and then gave birth to me and signed the papers with that alias and Did left. she name you? You know, I don't know if she named me on like my original birth certificate. I still don't have that or any legal paperwork, but she did give me a name. And what was that name? <laughs> it's painful for me to say. So you know, my name is Kathleen Joy mm-hmm. and I like my name. Mm-hmm. And the name that she gave me was Gayla Ruth. Hmm. So... <laughs> It could not really be any different than Mm -hmm. the name with which I grew up, but she recalled that Gayla was a family name from my birth father's family. Oh. I think I'm remembering that correctly. And Ruth was also a family name. And how old were you when this was all happening? When I found her? Mm -hmm. 32. So for 32 years, was she thinking about little Gayla? She was. Yeah. She said, and I believe her, I've heard a lot of moms say this, that she thought about me every day. Mm -hmm. And when my birth father contacted her, she told him, if you discover that she's dead, I don't want to know. Don't, don't tell me. Mm -hmm. And then she never heard from him again. You know, he didn't find me, but she never heard from him again. And so she didn't, she didn't know. And she had all those years, she had no idea if I was even alive and had wondered that and wanted to know how my life was mm-hmm. and if I had had a good life on the whole. And How that. did it make you feel to think that somebody was thinking about you all that time? It was weird for me to hear that. That hadn't ever even occurred to me. And, you know, at that time, I hadn't thought about her experience. Mm-hmm. I've thought about that a lot since then. Mm-hmm. And I've met a lot more moms since then and heard about their stories. And that's made me think about my own mom's Mm -hmm. story more. But at that time, I hadn't thought about it. 
And so it hadn't occurred to me that, well, of course, a woman who carried a baby and gave birth to it mm-hmm. would think about it and, you know, and, and then lost it, you know, would think about it every single mm-hmm. day for the rest of her life. Did she have other children? She did. Shortly after all of that, after she relinquished me, she met her first husband and they had a daughter two years after me, after I was born. So she had that daughter whom she raised Mm -hmm. and that was the only child she raised. She also, in that first conversation that we had when she called me after she received the letter, she told me that she had also relinquished a son two years before she relinquished me. Oh, really? So she had been pregnant a previous time mm-hmm. by a different man and had also placed that child. And I don't know anything about him. I haven't, I haven't searched for him yet. Wow. Well, you'll have to give us an update. But first, tell us about meeting your birth father. So after she gave me his information, since I knew that he had searched for me, I was Mm -hmm. less worried about how he might respond. And I don't remember if I sent him, I think I sent him a letter. It might have been an email, but he also got in touch with me right away and was happy to hear from me. So remember I said I had prepared myself for every possible worst case scenario. Mm I hadn't even thought to prepare myself for the best case scenario, mm-hmm. which would be that they want to be people, in your life. Yes, and yes, that they would be happy to mm-hmm. hear from me, that they would want me and they would have these families who had known about me and were also curious about me. And so like all of a sudden it was like, yes, like, yay. And I was like a deer in headlights. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, whoa, I wasn't ready for this. So I had to like kind of slow down and gather myself a little bit. I I was so, so grateful. And I remain to this day so grateful that each of them wanted contact with me mm-hmm. and wanted to know me. And that will never change mm-hmm. my, my gratitude for that. So I knew that I wanted contact with them and I wanted to know them. And it just, it took me a while to like kind of come around to the idea of knowing all these other people. Mm-hmm. The, the other rest, family. The rest of the family. Yeah, well, right. like two other families, right. right? So I had my family. And then, you know, I just like tripled it. Yes. <laughs> Christmas presents, that's a lot. And <laughs> um, what did he tell you? What was the story he told you? He told me that he didn't know that when he left, he didn't know that she was pregnant. What if that was true? How would he have contacted her again? Right. To say, yeah. Right. <laughs> and then he exactly. just left it at that. So here's his story. He didn't know until later because I kind of appreciate this. My birth mom had a little spunk and she, I don't know how, somehow she wound up contacting his mother and telling her. Oh. And so that's, he said, that's when he found out when his mother was like, um, so I got a call from Linda. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Who informed her. Okay. but. By that time, you were already with your other family? I don't think when so. she was pregnant. Yeah. Oh, she, I think after okay. he left, but you know, so she was pregnant, still hadn't okay. delivered. So she told his mom and his mom told, that's his version. Okay. So that's how he knew. Do you look like either one of them? I do. Both of them? I do. Really? Yeah. You can definitely, it's, it, it's a little easier to see the resemblance to her. 
I, I think because we're both females, mm-hmm. it's just easier. And he's a male and like has a mustache. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have a mustache. I, no, I don't. If you're listening to yeah. us on podcast, she does not have a mustache. <laughs> yeah, thankfully I don't. But I resemble each of them in different ways. My mom and I both, we have a similar way of holding our heads in photos. We both like tilt to the same side. Really? And we have the same closed mouth smile. And we've got some similarities in our eyes and our noses. Okay. But when she saw me the first time, so we had this conversation, then I had a conversation with him. Then she and I met, she lives in Iowa. We drove, we each drove halfway and met somewhere in Kansas. And then a couple weeks later I met him. And then two weeks after that, I started grad school. And then I lost my life for a few mm-hmm. years while right. I was in grad school. And your parents were okay? Your adoptive so, parents? So, No. Oh. I would say no. So they were okay with the idea of my searching. And they would say that they were okay, but I would say that um, their behavior revealed otherwise. Mm -hmm. So they were fine with my searching, had a lot of understanding of that, but it was different when I actually found someone. Mm -hmm. And then it became a lot. These are my words, Mm -hmm. right? They couldn't, they wouldn't ever have put words to this, but it became a lot more real once I found her. Mm -hmm. And had contact harder. with It was her. probably harder. Right. Mm-hmm. It was threatening. Right. That's what I believe. You know, these are my words. I tried to talk to my mom about it. I mean, my dad, he was still okay, just not, not terribly interested, like wanted to know what I had found out. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, wasn't interested. My mom, I would say, felt threatened. Mm-hmm. And I tried to have a conversation with her about that and say, basically... I can understand why you would and, you know, try to use it as an opportunity to provide some reassurance. and Which is really not your job, right? Because she's the adult. Right, right. But we, you know. But you're a therapist, so you know. Yeah, and we also, (laughs) even though that's not our job, we adoptees, I mean, I think we still tend to do that, to have Mm -hmm. that worry about them and to try to take care of them. Mm -hmm. And my mom is someone who had to be taken care of. And that mm-hmm. has nothing to do with being an adoptive mom. That has to do with just her and who she is as a mm-hmm. person. So my brothers, who are her biological sons, had to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I tried to talk to her about it, and you know, she denied it. Oh, no, I'm not threatened. You know, And right. that was it. But they, never, but they never asked me anything else about it. So if I wanted to talk about it, I had to bring it up mm-hmm. again. So we didn't talk about it. And there's... Not a ton that they didn't know, but there are things that they didn't know that if they had known actually could have brought us closer, mm-hmm. which is something that I've observed in in many relationships where parents are more supportive and they don't feel threatened. Mm-hmm. You know, when their child does make contact and the parents are supportive about that and curious about it, it brings their child closer to them mm-hmm. and them closer to their child. It just strengthens that relationship. Right. And so is that your advice? Totally. To adoptees and adoptive parents is being open and supporting them all the way through. Not just, hey, I like the idea of you finding them, but then what if you find them? How am I going to respond? And what if I have to share because they're going to go to that family for Christmas? You know, those are all those types of fears. fears. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My advice is 
just be curious and open. So communicate that you're open to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you get like the signal that maybe your child doesn't really want to talk to you about this, okay, go with that, respect that. Mm -hmm. But just communicate that you're open to it so that they know that if they do want to include you more, you know, when they get to the point where they do want to involve you more, Mm -hmm. they know that you're going to be open to that. Do you still talk to your birth family? I do. Mm -hmm. I'd say my reunion story seems a little unusual because we met 19 years ago and we haven't seen each other since. So we've had contact. Mm -hmm. We've talked and we text, Mm -hmm. you know, and stuff like that, but we haven't seen each other again. And I have a trip planned to see her. Unfortunately, my mom now has dementia, Mm -hmm. early stages. And my husband now and I are going to go see her. That's amazing. But I want to get people to you. If there are people out there listening and saying, oh my gosh, I need an adoption competent therapist. That just means you understand adoption, right? You can't really go to any therapist you want to because... What is going to happen is you're going to tell your story and then you have to back up and be like, wait, do you understand the complexities of adoption? And you don't want to waste your time (laughs) doing that and explaining that when you just want the help. And so you're ready and prepared for adoptive families. How can they get a hold of you? They can go to my website, adoptetherapy.com, and they can send me an email, kathy at adoptetherapy.com, or they can find my number on the website. And And you can help people outside of Colorado or just in Colorado? Just in Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Outside of Colorado, I'd try to find a referral for them. Yeah. I could, I can do some consultation, but Mm -hmm. really they need to be connected with a therapist in their area. Okay. Well, it's good to know that you can refer them. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I wish we had all day to talk about it, but you're welcome. You're amazing. And your journey sheds a lot of light for us 